Help us to surrender our lives. Help us to live in a way that says that is true, not just in our mind, not just in our words, but in the way that we walk and talk and act. God, you're faithful. You're faithful, and we can believe that, and we can live in your hands, not ours. Let that be true in our hearts tonight, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Let's give it up for the worship team. Good job, worship team. That was awesome. How are you guys doing? Did I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's some water right there. Cool. How are you guys? You guys doing all right? Do we need Do we need some extra seats? Are you guys good? You can figure that out? Okay, perfect. All right, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. All right, we are in the last week of this series, week four of Let Me Sum Up. The best way that I can think of to describe what is the process of how to become a follower of Jesus, or even just what it looks like to follow Jesus, is to be with Jesus. Pause. Philippians is right after uh, Corinthians. It's right after Ephesians. It's after Romans. Yeah, there you go. It's definitely in the New Testament. Yep. If you hit Colossians, if you hit Thessalonians, yep, it's the book after Ephesians. There you go. Philippians chapter 2. So the best way I can think of how to describe the process and what it looks like to follow Jesus, it's what we've been talking about the last two weeks. It's being with Jesus, becoming like him, and then doing what Jesus did. That's the calling and that's the purpose of following Jesus. It's to spend our time with him. It's to be transformed into his image. And then it is to do the things that he did. And it's not, we talked about that last week, how it's not stages, like you don't graduate one stage and go to the next. Instead, it's kind of like a circle. And I, I made a, a circle for you guys that would have been helpful last week, but here it is right there. Maybe I got to do a spin like Garrett. There, yeah. Do I, do I have to do that for every slide? All right. So you see how it's like you be with Jesus, you become like him, and you do what he did. It's a circle. So naturally, as you spend more time abiding in his presence, that is transforming you to become more like him. And the natural result of your life becoming like his and reflecting Jesus is that you will do the things he did and say the things that he said, which will then make you want to spend more time with him, which causes you to become more like him. And it's a cycle that you just continue going until it gets smaller and smaller and tighter and tighter until you glorify God by mirroring his image where God looks down and he sees he sees you, and he sees him. And so tonight is my last message to you guys, and I want to leave you with one idea from a passage that I've never preached on before, and that one idea I want to leave you guys with is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is a what? Okay, we're talking about Jesus tonight, all right? Yeah, not my hoodie or shirt or whatever. Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus starts, or everything starts and ends with Jesus. Jesus in the book of Revelation, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Everything is accomplished through Jesus. 
Everything was created through him, for him, by him. Everything is held together by Jesus, and our, ma- our lives are made to reflect his. Like, if you notice the process, it's to be with Jesus. It's to reflect him, to become like him, and then it's to do the things Jesus did. Everything revolves around Jesus. He is the center of it all. Um, so let's go to one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, this is the best for last, Philippians chapter 2. Um, this is actually a, a book in the Bible that I've never preached on tonight. Um, Philippians chapter 2. Surprisingly enough, we talked about it, but we're going to go into it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, he says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so just like the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing this letter from prison. And we don't know exactly which prison experience this was because we know Paul was imprisoned probably at least three different times in three different cities. But we believe this is the last time Paul was imprisoned. And we think he's in prison in Rome under the emperor Nero. Do you guys remember Nero from our First Peter series? Nero was the emperor of Rome that was crucifying Christians, that was lighting them on fire to, to light the night. Um, he is the crazy guy that played his fiddle while the city of Rome burned, and some say that he's the one who started the fire. Like, he's crazy. Paul is in prison under while this guy is in charge. This is the guy um, that will end up killing Paul. This is the guy that would crucify Peter upside down. So Paul is at the end of his life. He's in prison. Paul has preached the gospel faithfully. Paul has planted many churches. He's been faithful. And now he's ready to see Jesus. He even says so in in Philippians. He says, I don't know what's better. I don't know if it's better for me to be here with you to keep teaching you or if it's better for me just to go to heaven and spend time with Jesus. I don't know which, but he's conflicted. You see that in this letter. Um, But the main point is he knows his time is short. He believes that he, like, this is coming to an end. And you th- would think that when you're in prison or whenever you are in a dark season, that you would write about being depressed or you would write about being lonely or mad at God or, or how do you get through tough times when it doesn't seem like God is listening. Like, you think that's what Paul would be saying. But instead, in Philippians, he writes about joy. In Philippians, he mentions joy or rejoice more times than any other book. If you ask anybody, like, what's one of the main ideas of Philippians? It's about joy, about rejoicing in God. And so here Paul is in prison, and he's writing to a church that he helped start. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 16. And he has one last thing to say to them. He says, if there's any encouragement, if there's any love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit. So he's basically baiting him. He's saying, like, if you really love Jesus... I want you to prove that I made a difference in your life by sharing the gospel with you. I want you to live what we have been talking about. Show me. Make my joy complete by doing the things that I have taught you. The things I taught you when I was a person, the things I've written to you. It would make my joy complete to hear that you are actually living out what you say you believe whenever I taught you these things. And that's how I want to leave you guys tonight. Make my joy complete by doing the things that we've talked about and the things that I've taught you. Nothing would make me happier than to see all of you living out the truths of the Scripture 
and spending time with Jesus, becoming more like him, and then doing the things that he did, like hearing about you doing those things, nothing would make me happier than to see you living like Jesus whenever I see you again, whenever I see you in person, whenever I'm, I accidentally pop into your, one of your school lunches again, or see you on Instagram, or if I hear a good report from you next youth pastor about how awesome you guys are, nothing would make me happier than to hear that you guys are living out the truths of, my script, or the, of the Scripture. So make my joy complete. And so Paul's list, he says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. And so whenever we see that, we should ask ourselves, like, what is that one purpose? Like, let's dive deeper into that, right? Like, what is that one purpose? That one purpose is Jesus. It's a life that is marked and identified by Jesus. It's a life that is lived, that looks like Jesus doing what he did. And so now the question we should ask is like, okay, then what does that life look like? Like, we should be intent on one purpose. It's Jesus. Now, what does that actually look like? It's marked by one characteristic. Like, the Christian life, if you had to boil it down, it's marked most often by one characteristic, which Paul talks about in verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. That's, that, that's the word. There we go. <laughs> Verse 3, yeah. Mix up on the slides. Do nothing out of selfish or ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to, to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. So here, Paul, he's telling us, like, this is what a Jesus follower looks like. A follower of Jesus is humble. A follower of Jesus does nothing out of selfish ambition. If you say you follow Jesus, a follower of Jesus considers others more important than themselves. They look out for the interest of others above their own interests. And that is the kind of Christian that this youth group is going to need next year, next spring, it's all of you coming together, considering each other as more important than yourselves. It's considering the youth group as a whole as more important than yourselves. It's looking out for the interest of others. It's looking out for the interest of the group. It's looking out for the interest of these leaders and them in return, not yourself. Humility, emptying yourself, dying to yourself, living a cruciform life that is um, is the natural result of becoming like Jesus. We spend time with him. We are being transformed into his image. And then we do the things that he did. And it looks like living a, hu- a humble life in his image. That is what is expected of us because that's what Jesus did. And that's what Paul says. Um, so remember, this is one of the last things Paul writes in prison. He says, I'm writing to you guys, and nothing would make my joy complete than doing these things. So this is what he says after. He says, make my joy complete by doing these things. And in verse 5, he says, adopt the same attitude as that as of Christ Jesus. That sounds kind of familiar, right? Like, become like him, do what he did. Adopt the same attitude as that as Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And whenever he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even 
to death on a cross. So Paul's saying, become in practice where you already are in Christ. Like what is it, What's already true of you? Do in your actions what is already true of you in Christ. And so that's kind of a theological play on words. Like what's true of you in Christ is that God sees him. He sees holiness, blameless. He sees perfection because he sees Jesus' righteousness on you. And so Paul is saying, adopt that same attitude. Be in practice, be in your actions what is already true of you in Christ. And in Christ, you are a new creation. You are brand new. So this is saying, like, tell your body to act like it by denying your flesh of what it wants. Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that is Jesus. Like another way to translate that is have the same mind, have the same mindset as that is Jesus. Um, and so the question we asked is like, okay, what was Jesus's mindset? So it's Jesus who existing in the form of God. Let's just pause there and think about that for a second. Jesus existed before there was a baby in the manger. Think about that for a second. Like Christmas is coming around the corner. We celebrate the birth of Christ, the advent of Christ, Christ coming in the form of a human, a baby. But Jesus existed before Christmas, before that holiday, before any of that, because Jesus existed from the very beginning. Jesus was with God. He was in the act of creation. He created all things. All things were created by him, through him, and for Jesus. And he holds all things together. That's written in Colossians chapter 1. He existed in the form of God. That's what he says right here in, in, in Philippians 2. The form of God, that's so much more than just in the shape of God. Like He's in the form. He's in the, he's in the shape Paul is saying, like, even though Jesus was in the form of God, the essence of God, he embodied the fullness of God, the shape, the form, the character, the fullness. That is who Jesus is. Like, that's how high and how lofty he is. He is in the form of God. But notice what he says. He says he did not think of his equality with God as something to be used or misused, but instead he emptied himself. Notice what it says, right? Are we doing worship again? <laughs> All right. Are we singing now? Okay. No, go, can you go back to that verse in, in verse 3, Philippians? Maybe, maybe it messed up. But instead, there we go. So notice right there. It says, existing in the form of God, but instead he emptied himself. Think about that for a second. We're, we're moving on from that. He emptied himself. He hollowed himself out. He gave up his glory and his divine nature, coming down and taking on the likeness of humanity. So let's, let's imagine that in our head for a second. Think about God in all of his fullness, in all of his glory and greatness in heaven. Coming down, he created everything. And then he comes down, he takes on the form. He puts on our flesh. He puts on our shape. And so God who created the universe, he becomes one of us. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to come and be one of them, and I'm going to show them and live an example of what a life should look like. He allowed the people that he breathed life into to nail him to a cross that was made from a tree that he created with nails that he holds together. He humbled himself to the point of death. And it says even death on a cross. Like that's an important part to put in there because that was the most humiliating way to die, exposed 
and naked in front of everybody with no way to cover your shame. He humbled himself. And then Paul says, adopt this same attitude. And this is what Jesus tells us himself. Like this, this comes from the mouth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, if you look in your Bible, this is a red letter. It's Jesus' words. He says, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Like we need, like hold up. Like I thought everyone, I thought Jesus loved everybody. I thought God so loved the world. He sent his one and only son so everyone who believes can, can not perish but have everlasting life. That's true. That's how much God loved the world that he made this way possible. But Jesus also says that if you don't follow me, then you are not worthy of me. And then again in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says the same thing to his disciples. He says, then he said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what benefit, or what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life? Will anyone give in, or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? So here's kind of the paradox we see here. It's that in, it is in losing your life that you will find life. And all these are opposite of what the world would tell you. You won't see this on TikTok or Facebook. or You guys don't get on Facebook anyways. You won't see this on Instagram or Snapchat. It's in losing your life where you find life. It's in dying to yourself and saying no to your flesh where you truly come alive. It's in living for others and not yourself where you find the most satisfaction. It's in denying your flesh where you find wholeness. You think, like, I just need to do this thing. I need to drink this. I need to look at that. It's in denying your flesh where you find the most satisfaction. It's in putting others ahead of yourself where you will find peace. And it's in humility and putting yourself low in every circumstance where then you will be exalted. But let's be clear, like that's not the point of humility. The point of humility is not to be rewarded. Like we don't like, I'm going to be humble so that God can see this and exalt me. Um, that's not humility. Like that's girl math, if you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> Paul said, Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition. So even humility, like don't even be humble out of selfish ambition. Is that like that's kind of hard to wrap our head around? How do you not be humble out of selfish ambition? But there's ways to do it. Like don't, yeah, don't don't try to be humble so that you can look humble. Because Paul says, when you're humble, God exalts the humble. But that's not the motivation. Because Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. The point is to lift others up and it's to glorify Christ by becoming like Him and doing the things that He did. So Paul continues in, in two, chapter 2, verse 8 of Philippians. It says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So the gospel, it's not just the fact that Jesus, that God came down in human form and became one of us. It's not just about Christmas. And it doesn't end with the fact that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. It's not just about Easter. The gospel concludes with Jesus being exalted to the highest place in heaven and is given a name that is above every other name and taking his divine seat as Lord over the universe. And that's why it's not just, that's why we say it's not just enough to accept and believe, to think like, oh yeah, Jesus is good. Yeah, he died for my sins. Therefore, it doesn't matter what happens for the rest of my life. I believe it. Therefore, it happens for me. No, the natural thing to do, if you really believe that Jesus is king of the universe, is to fall on our face and confess him as the Lord of our life, and then to live our life as if what we said was true. Does that make sense? Like, it's not just to say, Jesus, you're Lord. Um, I pray that you forgive this mistake I'm about to make, and I pray that you forgive the next mistake. It's to say, Jesus, you're Lord, and I want to do everything in my life to glorify you and live as if I believe you are actually in charge. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the one that is exalted. And it says one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. One day, there will be no choice. Every person, every atheist, no matter what, will have the cho- will be confessing that Jesus is Lord. The question is, will you be doing it now or will you be forced to do it in eternity? That's what the question is. But that's who Jesus is. He is the center. He is the beginning and the end. He is the everything. And so that's what I want to leave you with is make Jesus your everything. So when you go home, Tonight, keep Jesus in the center of your life. And what that means is find time to be with him. Allow him to transform you. Do the things that he did. When you go to school, keep Jesus at the center of your life. When, when you're home for the holidays and it's Christmas time, you have family come around, keep Jesus at the center. Be with him. Become like him. Next year in small groups, keep Jesus at the center. If Matthew, you want to go ahead and come back. And here's where it all comes to play for us. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus left his throne, and he was born in a manger as a baby. He left his glory, and he put on our flesh. He became one of us. He wasn't just going to be God and, and, and far off. He became one of us. And he walked the same earth that we walked, full of all of its pain and all of its darkness and brokenness. He knows what it feels like. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed, to be, to be forgotten, to be lonely, to be isolated. He knows what it feels like to have the flesh and to deny yourself, to want something and pray God to take it away and yet submitting to God's will. He knows what temptation feels like. But Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. He died as an innocent, sinless sacrifice. He didn't have any sin, any shame, any guilt, but instead he carried your sin. He carried your shame. He carried our guilt. He died as you. He died in your place. He humbled himself and he took your punishment. He humbled himself and he considered you as more important than himself. 
He looked out for your interest, for our interest, and not his. Jesus lived this. And as a free gift, he offers us the opportunity to leave our old dead life behind and instead to be transformed and put on a new life. It's a life of second chances to live the life he created us to live. He gave us a free gift of the ability to find freedom in him, to find forgiveness in him, to be made new in him. And then he gives you the power and the ability to live your life under his lordship. This isn't about earning salvation. It's all by grace. But if you read in the next few verses in Philippians, I believe it's chapter or verse 13, it says, For it is God who is working in you to both want and to work according to his good purpose. God gives you the desire to want to spend time with him. The more you submit to him, that's why it's a circle that gets tighter and tighter, is that the more you spend time with him, God works in you to want that even more. And then he gives you the power to actually do it. Like, I'll never be able to say no to pornography. I'll never be able to stop lying. I'll never be able to say no to this fill in the blank. You spend time with him. He transforms you. He gives you the power and ability both to want to say no to that, to want to say yes to him. And then he gives you the ability to actually do it. It's his power, not ours. And so now be in practice where you already are in him. You are a new creation. So tell your body that. Adopt the same mind as Christ. Put others ahead of yourselves. Say no to the flesh and say yes to the spirit and be with him. Make it your life goal to be with him and allow him to transform you into his image and to do the things that Jesus did. So now if the worship team, you want to come back up. The practice tonight is a practice I, I hope we all do each and every day. And it's confessing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so tonight, I'm not going to ask anyone to bow their head or, or to close their eyes. Because in Romans, it's pretty clear. In Romans, it says that anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in heart that he is, that he is Lord, they, they will be saved. It doesn't mention closing your eyes and, and raising a hand but it mentions that we confess it, that we say it, that we live it out, that Jesus, you are Lord, you are King. And so in a moment, the worship team, they're going to lead us in another song. And so if you, and this is a call for everyone. If you've never said yes to Jesus and you want to, you want to make him the Lord and Savior of your life, tonight is the perfect opportunity for you to believe in your heart these things are true about him. And they confess it with your mouth, say, Jesus, you are Lord. And then just live it out that, what you, that you believe what you said was true. So that's for you if you've never made that decision. Jesus offers you a free gift of salvation. But the same steps also apply to us Christians who've been saved for weeks or months or years. It's Jesus, you are Lord. You wake up tomorrow morning, Jesus, you are Lord. It's your will, not mine. Let your kingdom come, not mine. Jesus, you are Lord. So in a moment, the worship team, they're going to start. I'm just going to ask that if you want to make that decision or you have and you want to continue to say, Jesus, you are Lord, I'm just going to ask that you just stand as soon as I say amen and you just find a place to come up here and confess. Say, Jesus, you are Lord. God, you could have my life. I'm laying it down. I want to become like you. You are Lord and I'm not. And if you don't, that's fine. You could stand if you don't want to sit there awkwardly, but that's okay. But come up to the front. Confess him as Lord. Jesus, I thank you so much for your gospel. 
and the opportunity to teach and to preach it to these students. Father, I pray that it's your words and not mine, that it's your spirit that convicts us, not mine. So, Father, I pray that you do your work. Convict us of our sins. Help us to repent of those and turn to you. Transform us in your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and let's worship God and confess him as Lord. Brooklyn or I up up the front, if you have any prayer requests, we would love to pray with you.